Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Happy summer. <laughs> if you've watched the last couple of videos, you've heard us kind of announcing and getting ready that it's the start of summer, which is such a crazy time of life. And sometimes you forget to um, eat, sleep, read scriptures, be nice. Just kidding. <laughs> like it just is a sort of wild, reckless, wild, wild west season, which is awesome. And so fun, but it makes it hard sometimes to do study, scripture study together as a family to be organized and stuff like that. So we, we are starting today this thing we're calling the Summer of Heroes. Should we put this up right now? Oh, yeah. You can see this. This is what the end of the Summer of Heroes is going to look like. We'll show you the end from the beginning. Um, so these, what we're going to do throughout the summer is highlight different um, heroes, different people throughout the whole summer. And at the end of it, you're going to have 44 people you've never heard of before. Maybe you've heard of three of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's so many I'd heard of. Um, Of all these people and like a lesson about each of them and just the learning to trust in the Lord. And it'll just be a summer full of that. And our thought is that each hero, we will give you a five minute lesson. So if you want to use these for five minutes every night for your scripture study and family prayer, or if you want to do them in the mornings, or if you love watching Come Follow Me on Sundays, they're going to all be one right after the other. So you'll be able to do that. And we'll just hold up this in between each hero. So you know when the next hero is starting. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be Plus good. Plus, we'll oh. have our cute video guy, Andy, put a little thing at the bottom so you can keep track of which hero we are on and what we're doing. This PDF of you on it, which includes all of our hero little banners that you can hang up somewhere in your house as we go through. Go back to previous videos if you want to know more ideas on that. It's in the newsletter for free and also on the app. So that's where hey, you can get that. So all right. Good. Oh, and if you want bracelets, we will also have a oh, link yeah. to these super fun bracelets. A lot of you last time we did this wanted to do these for youth conference or in your families. And our cute lady we work with that does jewelry came up with a really good price on these for us. And they have a secret word right now, which should we say what it is? Yes, because we're starting. Okay, we might as well. And it's going to show up today. And it's a Hebrew word that means valor. So that's kind of the word that we want to like focus on throughout the whole summer. This idea of courage, this idea of grit, this idea yep. of being trust. valiant. Yeah, being valiant. You know, that's a word that is associated with the um, stripling warriors from the Book of Mormon also. And you're just going to see it keep showing up throughout these people's stories. And we love that idea of, of almost through the summer developing a definition of what that word means. Because yeah. remember, all Hebrew words are really rich in their meanings. And so we can keep kind of like forming like a definition of what that word is. Okay. So we are going to dive right in. We're in the book of Judges. Oh, the timeline. So you know where we're at. Okay. Good idea. Good idea. We better do that. Here's the timeline real quick. And we'll talk about the book of Judges. Yeah. So we just came off of Joshua and remember Joshua leads the children of Israel into the promised land. And now Joshua dies right at the book of Judges. And you kind of now watch whether the people are going to follow his invitation. Remember Joshua's last invitation at the end of his book was, choose ye this day whether you will serve the Lord. Are you going to be his people? Are you going to represent his heart and character to the rest of the world? Or are you going to let them corrupt you? That's kind of like where you end Joshua and we start the book of Judges. So our first hero is going to be right in the beginning of the book of Judges. And one of the things we love about this is there is a cycle that happens throughout the entire book of Judges. You're going to watch it happen over and over again. And you can even put a little circle every time you see it starting over again as you go through um, these pages. The Come Follow Me has you reading just um, a few chapters We're going to be taking you just everywhere where we love the hero. So we'll hit those chapters. We might hit some other chapters and that's the fun of don't miss this. We just want to make sure you don't miss anything really awesome in these stories. So the first one is Othniel. He's going to be in chapter three that we're going to look at. 
And I'm going to start in verse five. It tells us the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That was tricky. So <laughs> really many, thank you. So many ites is um, who they were living with and a lot of distractions happening. And in verse six, it tells us they took their daughters to be their wives and they gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord, their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Whenever you see groves, that represents a place where sacrifices are made to other gods. And usually that word, the groves, is where those sacrifices would have been made instead of like in a temple. And and you should know we're not this is not just people who have decided to like marry someone of another faith or something like that happening here like the groves usually were a place of child sacrifice of um ritual prostitution that happened like the worship was not just going to another church it was it was horrific yeah. and 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 murderous in a lot of cases um so what happens first if you want to start filling out this chart that's in the journal is they rebel they forget they kind of go into a time of apostasy without God. And so in verse eight, therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them. <laughs> That's a good phrase. Yeah, it really is. Um, and so he sells them and they're going to go into bondage for eight years. So that's the second thing. Who are they going into the bondage? In yeah, there? you say it. No, I want you to. Chishan <laughs> Rishathayim. <laughs> Actually, that was really good. That was really good. They go into bondage, bondage with those people for eight years. And finally, in verse nine, when the children of Israel cry unto the Lord, the Lord raises up a deliverer. So they go through this period of repentance, of crying for deliverance. And here is um, what you love about judges, because then the Lord provides a deliverer. And it happens every time this cycle starts over and goes through. He raises up these deliverers. So that's the next step that happens. And in this story we're starting with. And it's fascinating that he keeps doing that because the natural inclination is you did this to yourself. Yeah. I, gave, I, I gave you a warning, you know, and you yes. didn't listen, but... How often a deliverer is raised up is is such a strong evidence of what God's heart is like oh, in this book. It's so good. And just you just keep seeing second chances, third chances over and over again. And so um, this man's name is Othniel, and you love what his name means because it means lion of God or force of God. That is who gets raised up in this moment. And he is the son of Kenaz, who was Caleb's younger brother. So he comes from the tribe of Judah and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and went out to war and the Lord delivered them. <laughs> and um, then they had rest for 40 years. So that is the pattern you want to be watching for. Now, one of the things we love is that these deliverers, are also called judges. And that's our name for the, that's our word for this week is judge. Um, and do you want to read yeah, what just it some of the words that it means, means. Uh, Shofet, which means to govern, to avenge. These are the first Avengers, just so you know, <laughs> to, to contend, to defend, to plead, to reason and to rule. And so they're not so much like a judge, like you would see in court, in a court or something like that, but rather like a a tribal leader, you know, who's almost in charge of the whole welfare of everybody within their, their group. And generally these people will go into battle together and that person will be crucial to how the battle is won every time. That just is true. So I love that part of judges. So the first one we meet is Othniel. Um, and we love from his story, if you were going to pick one phrase that you thought, this is what I learned from the first hero, it's that in a time, um, in a cycle of apostasy or a cycle where there is a lot of rebellion, choose to be a force of God. We uh, love that thought. Awesome. Okay, hold on. Look at me being responsible. Oh, oh okay. like, it reminds me of this guy. Oh, yeah, we should make one of those. <laughs> That'd be so fun. I'm going right. to get one. All right, right after, right on the heels of that, it's crazy because I, when you were saying they were in bondage for eight years, 
We said something the other day and Jenny was like, oh yeah, that was, that was, I did that for eight years. And Caleb goes, that's my whole life, <laughs> you know? And so it's funny how quick we move through years in yes. this. You're just yeah. like, whoa. Then right on the heels of that verse 12, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And they go back and Eglon, the king of Moab comes against Israel um, and now they're they're in bondage again. And it says that they're going to be in bondage to Moab for 18 years in verse 14. So that's crazy. I know, and, it's, long, and it's so fast, right? right? It just right. comes right back around again. And it's interesting, it uses language like the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab. And that's like a really, really fanciful, poetic way of talking. Because it seems as you read this, what's happening is the Lord has promised to protect them. It's one of the promises to covenant Israel. But when they say no thank you to God, then he steps out of the picture. He's a gentleman. <laughs> he <laughs> steps out and he's like, if you don't want my help and protection, good luck. But you're kind of little against them. And these other nations just take over. They take advantage of it and they come in and they take over. So then just like the cycle in verse 15, they cry unto the Lord again. And so just like he did last time and just like you can expect you'll do next time, the Lord raises up a deliverer. And this one, his name is in verse 15, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a Benjamin, uh, whatever. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. I can't say a, that a word. Benjamin man. <laughs> okay. And a man left-handed. Now, what's interesting about this is two things. One, the tribe of Benjamin was considered the least of all of them. Remember, Benjamin was the baby brother of the whole family. And so Benjamin sort of considered this cute, still little baby brother tribe. Um, so of any tribes that you would have a deliverer, probably wouldn't come from Benjamin. And he's left-handed. This is why in our Summer of Heroes thing that you print out and hang up, we call, even though his name is Ehud, which is a cool name, we call him um, the Southpaw. Because he's left-handed. And if you are not a baseball fan, why? Or a boxing fan, um, then you might not know a southpaw is somebody who's left-handed. And usually it's a pitcher or a boxer that we talk about as being somebody who's um, left-handed. And they, interestingly, left-handed pitchers and boxers, um, they left-handed people only make up, what did we read? 10%. Like 10% of the population. And maybe similar back then. I don't know. Must have been because they... The writers sure made a know. point to know, yeah. like he's left-handed. Um, but th it's not usual. They're different than everybody else. But what you're going to see is really cool is the, the fact that they are different actually becomes an advantage. The fact that they think outside the box and do things differently is what their advantage actually ends up being. So this story is so um, creepy. But he makes a dagger. Um, and he says, um, I have a present for the king. He sends him a message. I have a present for you. And the king's like, yeah, I love presents. And so he goes and he makes his dagger and he hides it underneath his, his clothes right here on his thigh. And he brought the present to this king. And it says in verse 17, the king was kind of a, a large man that will play into the story in just a second. And so when he bows down, um, to, to give the king this secret, tell him, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to give you a present. And he makes everyone leave yeah, who's like, there because he's like, this is a secret message. So just you and me can be here. And he must have seemed really unthreatening, which it was interesting when yeah. we were reading about it. Um, they said often a left-handed opponent will be slower, weaker, or less skilled. Um, but it's because they catch people off guard that they become this force, you know, that um, they're just have a... Um, an advantage. Yeah, right. Their disadvantage is actually their yeah. advantage. So he comes and he's in the summer parlor with him. I there's love so much detail. The That's my, and the doors are closed. Yeah. And he said, he came up close to me and says, I have a message from God to you. And the guy stood up and then Ehud takes his left hand. Which the guy wouldn't expect, right? Because you were watching people's right hand for danger. Right. And he pulls out the, the, the sword and he, and he thrusts it into his belly. All the kids are going to love this part. 22. Um, yeah. Make sure you And the half read of it went 22. in after the blade and the fat closed upon the blade so he couldn't get his dagger out. And then the dirt came out of him, which is just, I didn't write the book, okay? And I didn't write it, but. And I love this part because you know what he represents is just excess and filth. That's, and I think that's why yeah, we that get so dirt, many that dirt, details yeah. because he's just letting us know what had corrupted 
their society was excess and filth. That's what he was fighting against. And I just feel bad that he lost his favorite dagger. <laughs> you know, he's like, dang it. <laughs> and he loses it. And then he runs out and the people chase after him. And, and, and you love that he shuts the doors of the parlor. Which like, is really why is nice. He's a good boy. And locks it. Because he hears his mother say to him, were you raised in a barn? Shut you know, door. and so he shuts the door. And then in 28, he, in 27, it's kind of cool. He blows a trumpet, which is... They use trumpets as a sign of victory and, and as a call to everybody. And then in 28, he says, follow after me for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. And they did. And they found um, a period of rest again after that great victory. And so our hero is the Southpaw. And the one line we kind of want you to remember and think about him is this idea to be a surprise effect. To, in a world that does things in a certain way, uh, maybe in a way of excess, maybe in a way of lust. You find that about the people later. Uh, to be somebody a little bit different than that. To be a surprise. To yeah, be a to breath be of fresh air. To be God's message. Yeah, right. In the midst of that excess and filth. And we just love that it might be a surprise effect. Right. So that's so cool. Is number two. Okay. We're just going to warn you, three might take us a little longer to tell <laughs> because it's one of our favorite stories. And there's two heroes in this one, a surprise hero a in this one. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about Deborah and Yael is who we're talking about. And here's what's happening. We're in Judges 4. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. I love when it's like, again did yeah. evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And so the Lord sold them into the hand of Yabin, the king of Canaan. And the host of his army was Sisera. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. Why is that so scary? We don't know, but it was a lot. Yeah, and they're usually made of wood. It had been 20 years that they had been in bondage. That's my whole life, some people are saying. Yeah, exactly. And so Deborah gets raised up, and we love that it is a woman who gets raised up this time. Now, in verse four, we read this, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And just so you know, and we love pointing this out and feel free to write it in your scriptures. You could either say Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, or you could have chosen to translate wife as woman. It, it'd be the same. And that word Lapidoth, could be translated as torch-like. So you could have said Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, or you just as easily could have written Deborah, a prophetess, the woman with a torch-like spirit. And I just want to say this right now. No offense to you, but this is how we know men wrote the translation of the Bible because women would have chosen a torch -like. woman with a torch like spirit. I would have too, but I can see how someone would have been like, Oh, that's Lapidoth's girl. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's how they wanted to write Go it. Go ahead and write that in your scriptures. It's better. It's white so out the better. other one. Q Alfred Adersheim brought that up for us. So that is how we know. And this makes it even better. She dwelt under a palm tree is what it tells us in verse five. It's who wants to be part. the woman with a torch like spirit who just sits under a palm tree every day and people come to her and ask her for advice from God. And she just influences them and lifts them and encourages them. And in my phone, I put um, a palm tree next to my people that I go to for advice because oh, of the story. That like is a so emoji. cute. Yes. <laughs> so she called Barack, who was... Um, like the captain of their army. And she says to him in verse six, didn't the Lord command you saying, go and take uh, 10,000 men and go and fight and deliver us from this captivity. And that he would bring Sisera, the captain of Yabin's army, and he would be delivered into your hand. Didn't the Lord tell you he would do that? And Barak said unto her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. And she replies back in verse nine, I will surely go with you. And I love this thought. There is a Bible scholar whose last name is Cassell. And he says this, there are three types of people. Those that sit, those that stand and those that go. And don't you think to yourself, I want to be known 
as someone who goes. Hmm. I like want to enter into the battle. So Deborah goes, it tells us in verse 10, um, they call up their 10,000 men, um, Barak does, and Deborah went up with him. And I love this part. Um, in verse 13, it says, Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron. They want to make sure we know that is how many <laughs> he had and all the people that were with him. So many people. And then Deborah says to Barak up for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand is not the Lord gone out before thee. And I just love that language of faith when she's like, listen, this is the day. When God delivers us, this is it. This is the day. And Deborah becomes in that moment, an encourager. And yeah. she speaks with the language of faith. And she, she just has full trust in the Lord. And that is what I love about her. We talked about uh, being an encourager. When you think about Deborah, be the kind of person someone can come and talk to and ask for advice. And you encourage them in the name of of the Lord. You strengthen them in the name of the Lord. And everyone needs someone like that. Yep. I feel like in their life, someone that you could say like, well, if you'll go with me, it's actually going to give me courage. Like we all have somebody that just like, oh, they're just their very presence, you know, gives, yes. gives courage. I, I've said this before on here, but maybe it's been a long time that when I give one of the kids a, a blessing, like I actually don't care who gives it with me or, you know, whatever, but I do care that Jenny's there for that very reason, mm. because she has a torch-like spirit and it lights up my own faith, you know, for her presence to be there. And I think that's so, that's such a needed thing in our world today to just be an encourager. Yeah. So, yeah. Such it's an awesome so good. Story. And something to work on. If you're listening to these one every day, maybe you try one of these things <clears throat> every day. Mm. And today is just be an encourager and speak what the Lord would have you say. Speak the language of faith into all of your conversations today. And I can't remember in a lesson or two ago when I said, I want to say that to my kids every day. Remember that? But now I want to say this one, that phrase. Don't you want to wake them up and say, up, for this is the day. <laughs> yes. You know? That's yes. another it's cool such line. Such an awesome That'd be awesome. Okay, the story ends with a bonus hero that we just for we forgot to put her flag <laughs> in. So you just have to take a piece of paper and cut out the same because <laughs> she's so awesome. So when they fight this battle, the captain of the bad guys, um, <laughs> I can't remember what they were called. I don't know if I love when they just turned into the bad guys. That's fine. Yeah. So they, <laughs> um, their captain, whose name is Sisera, he's like, oh, shoot, we're going to lose this battle. So he runs, you know, he abandoned, you know, abandoned ship. And um, he gets to this tent, you know, that he finds. He stumbles upon this tent. And starting in 18, there's this woman, her name is Yael. And she went out to the front of the tent and met Sisera and said, oh, come on in, my Lord. Turn in to me. Fear not. Don't come on. It's okay. And he came in and, and she covered him with a, a blanket, you know, and he said, I, I just wonder if you could give me a little water to drink. And she's like, yes. And she opened up a bottle of milk. She just one upped it. Um, and she gave him the drink and she tucked him in and she like covered him in the blankie. You know, this is just so cute. You're just like, she sings a lullaby. Na, na, na. <laughs> na, na, na. You know, and then he says, will you stand in the door of the tent? And if anyone comes and asks and, and says, is there, a, is there a man in here? You just say no. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just go to sleep. And then it says in 21, I'm not making this up. This is in the good book. It says, then Yael, Heber's wife, took a nail out of the tent. And she took a hammer in her hand and she went softly <laughs> to him. She tiptoed and then she smote the nail into his temples and it fastened him to the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. And then your best line in 21. So he died <laughs> in case you didn't know that that was going to cause death. Someone from the editing is like, but everyone's going to wonder what happened to him. It's like, uh, he died. So he died. Yeah. Like who just loves it? She's just like, la, 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 la. You know, You're then, making it scary. Don't make it well, what's scary. Well, when someone puts a nail into your head, that's scary. Um, <laughs> it's just a different time, y'all. It's a time of war. Um, so uh, then she delivers. Now, that was Deborah's prophecy back at the very beginning. She says to Barack, I'm going to go, but just so you know, Sister is going to be delivered into the hands of a woman. And in their time and context, that would have been unheard of. That they, You would have thought, no way. That's never actually going to happen. And it was in that context, an evidence that like, it was the Lord 
you know, who was behind all this, giving, giving the strength and, and pulling this all together. And, um, there's a couple things about this that are really cool. Number one, we love the idea of Yael as somebody who is a woman of gentle courage that, um, she becomes a hero, but in a really untypical like way that you would think there was a hero, like tucking somebody in and giving them milk generally isn't considered a hero. Um, although it is like, isn't that awesome that like her heroism comes from tucking in and, mm. and giving milk, you know? Um, but something that's really neat about her name, Yael, is that name, Yah, is Yahweh, Jehovah, and El, Elohim, El, the name of God. So the, the father and the son. And so when it says... And Sisera, are you going to tell about Sisera? Do you know what that means? No, I don't actually. You're going to love this part, sin. Oh, is it mean sin? Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I did not know that. Okay, this is really even cooler. Mm-hmm. So when you say this line, and Yael defeated Sisera with a nail, you could translate that um, and, and say the father and the son defeated sin with a nail. And there's, there's a really sweet and powerful lesson in there. Yeah. About the atonement. You just love that hidden within this story is and, this lesson about the atonement. And you made me start thinking to myself, what I love about Yael is in her home, she defeated sin by bringing Jesus and the Father and what happened on the cross, the atonement into her home. And that's how sin was defeated. I and, love that being heroic. Yeah. And it made me think, as I read it for the first time, just that that um, defeat of sin from the Father and the Son was a very gentle, meek, sacrificial defeat. There was mm. not a battle that people like thought was happening, but rather there was a submission. There was a, Jesus didn't speak. He was quiet. There's something about it that it's like that gentleness is what became the victory there, Mm. which is cool. So good. Okay. Okay. She's our bonus one. Here comes the next one. We're going into this fellow. Now we're going a little bit out of order in the chapter. And that's because we didn't want to end on Samson. (laughs) Now, the way the book of Judges is written, it seems like even the judges kind of get um, bad. They get bad toward the end, you know? And so he fits there in the end, almost like an unhero a little bit here um, when you read his story. But we didn't want to end on him, so we swapped some of the chapters around. And he does have around. a really important lesson. Yeah. He has a really important line that you do want to hold on to. So there's this guy whose name is Samson. You may have heard of him before. Um, when he was born, his, he was born under great promise. You know, that again, the children of Israel rebelled and did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were in bondage to a group called the Philistines for many, many years. The children of Israel cried unto, unto the Lord for help. They repented. They changed their ways. And the Lord's going to raise up this deliverer. And he was a, a boy of great promise. And the Lord actually promises to his father and his mother, if this boy, um, will, hand his life over to me, um, will live in relationship with me, then he will be a great means of, of strength and protection for the people. Um, but he kind of, uh, takes advantage of these gifts that God gives him. God gives him this unique gift of strength. And it comes because he takes the Nazarite vow. We should talk about that because if you wonder why he doesn't cut his hair is because he takes this vow, which is the Nazarite vow. And you can actually look that up and read it in the book of numbers. If you are interested in that, I think it is in the book of numbers, but so go on. That's, um, he had taken this vow, which you dedicate your life to God is what that means in the beginning. And in the beginning, that is how his story starts. But he accidentally loses sight of where his strength is truly coming from because of the great success that he has. Right. And so he's been given this gift. And for the, yeah, that long hair is sort of a symbol of that gift that God gives to him. And so you 13 through 16 is, it's such a, a, a crazy story. It's like almost like an epic tale where you watch Samson like do these huge, what you would call kind of heroic acts, but he does them selfishly and he does them like impetuously. And he's just, he's not a great like role model. And it's interesting because he's not a super good dude, but the Lord is still using him for his purposes to help, you know, deliver the children of Israel. His, his promises to the children of Israel. And even though this guy is, is, is 
doing it for the wrong reason. God's still using this faulty fellow, you know, to... <laughs> well, and I love That's the thought weird, of... faulty fellow. Why did that I don't know. But I do love the thought of this because we see this happen in our own life where we begin with our hearts set on God and then we start um, having that progress and increase. And um, through him, we maybe find success. And I love that Samson shows us that we can accidentally get sidetracked. Yeah. And it's almost as if God was like, wait a minute, remember you and me started this together. And then now the better you're getting at it, the less you're needing me. And not only is God going to try and save Israel at the end of this, but he's going to also try and reclaim Samson by the time it's over. And I love that he's not going to give up on either of them. Yeah. And the one thing that kind of remains, even though he is breaking all of the different vows, when you learn what the Nazarite vow is and you read his story, you see that he's, he breaks one in every one of his stories, right? But the one that he kind of keeps on to is that hair one. He act, he won't cut his hair, you know? And it's mm-hmm. the one thing that he kind of is holding on to. And, and eventually he meets this Philistine girl uh, named Delilah. Um, and she, uh, through a series of like trickery, finally gets him to tell her that he says, my strength comes from my hair. Um, and like, you don't know why he didn't break up with her when you read that story, because she yeah. like, tries to capture him like three times yes. and she's like, oh, sorry, 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 <laughs> or whatever. Anyways, finally she cuts his hair and he, and he loses that strength and he gets taken over by the Philistines and they capture him and, and, and they actually gouge out his eyes. And they take him into the temple of their God. And they're all just in there. It's almost like an arena setting is how the feeling is. And they're just chanting against him, you know, that their God has overtaken um, the Lord. And Samson has this prayer. And we wrote in the journal that we call him the blind one. Because it's interesting that um, it's not until he's like blind that he actually sees where his strength and power came from. Like he just got caught up. He became blinded um, spiritually to what the source of his strength and power and what his relationship with God was like. And it's not until he loses his physical eyes that he really sees things Mm -hmm. in the, in the right way. And he calls unto the Lord in 1628, tied up in this temple of Dagon, you know, with all these jeering people. And he, he calls unto the Lord and he says, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray thee and strengthen thee I pray thee only this once, right? And this time, not for himself, but to defend the name of God, you know, and, and that I may be avenged. And then he pulls down the pillars in that place and it all collapses and falls and he dies in there with it. And we have this little question on the, on the journal, where is your strength? And Samson may have said, oh, it's in my hair. But what he really should have said throughout his life, it's, oh, it's my God. That is who my strength is. And so that lesson that we learn from almost an unhero a little bit is to let God be your strength, to recognize where your gifts come from and to like, not just this once, but continually throughout your life to call upon him for your actual strength. And we love, is that what um, we said in Samson's name? If you're keeping track of those, let God be that strength for you. Okay. So now we are going to go to the last one and this is going to be Gideon. We love Gideon so much. So we knew this is where we wanted to end. And there's two parts of this story that are really important. So David's going to start with the beginning of the story. All start with the end. We'll start in judges six is where we're going to begin. So again, what do you know? They are, uh, they rebel against the Lord and then they get into bondage. Um, from the Midianites, this other group now. And starting in verse 12, um, the angel of the Lord comes to call upon this um, boy whose name is Gideon. And he says to him in verse 12, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. See, that's where it shows up in this one. And let's talk about that. A mighty man of valor, and we'll probably talk about it again, but that was the elite of the army. And they were men who, it tells us in the scriptures, practiced from sunup to sundown. And they knew how to do a shot with their right hand and with their left. That's how they became mighty men of valor. They're the very top of the army. And what's interesting is Gideon answers back in 13 and he says, Oh, my Lord, uh, I, I don't think, 
I know that you um, you have miracles and, and the Lord did bring us out of Egypt and, every, and, and all of those things. But, but he says in 15, my family's poor in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Like you've got the wrong person and you've seen this before in Moses and a little bit in Abraham where they're just like, no, 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 no. You assigned the wrong title to me. And, and it just is that characteristic of the Lord where he sees in you what you usually don't see in yourself. Mm. And he calls him out to what he can become and what he is. And, the, and he answers in 16. He says, surely I will be with you. Uh, and then Gideon, he kind of starts um, wanting to kind of make sure a little bit. He's just like, oh, thank you. And you're going to see as this chapter goes through just a couple different times where he just needs sort of like some encouragement from the Lord that he's actually right. Because he <laughs> just wants to keep saying like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. Like we have no money. I'm from a really small tribe. We have, you know, we don't have much influence. I'm the, I'm the youngest and the least. You, you could call my brothers. I, you know, my, my brother can bench 250. Um, like maybe you should call him or something. And he's sort of just like this. A lot of us are going to see ourselves in him. Mm. This idea of just like self-doubting and, and seeing other people that are better fit than us for different things. And maybe wishing that we were other people. And, and, he, and he goes to the Lord and, and he prays and he, and he asks for a sign. He says, will you show me a sign? that it really is you, that this is not just a voice inside my head, you know, that I'm making up, but it really is you. And, and, and the Lord says, he says to the Lord, depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come back and bring forth my present. And I set it before you. And, and, and the Lord says, okay, or the angel, Lord, I'll wait until you come back, you know, which is just such a fun conversation. And he goes in and he prepares a sacrifice for him in verse 19 with unleavened cakes and flour. And, and he pours out like, which is one of the Levitical practices of, of worship is to pour out the broth. That's what's happening there. And then the angel of the Lord in 20 says, take that meat and those unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. And then he touches the rock. Um, and, and all of a sudden, like a fire comes and consumes up all of those things. The and present. The present, yeah. And in 22, Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. And he said, alas, O Lord God, I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord says back, peace be unto you. In verse 23, fear not, thou shalt not die. And so he built an altar in that place and he called the name of the place Jehovah Shalom, which is a, a, a word that means um, the Lord is peace. And, and we love this beginning of the story because you have this boy who's kind of like, I just, I, I actually don't know. I'm super unqualified. I, I'm, I, I know you think I can, but I sort of need some reassurance to this. And the Lord comes in and he gives him that reassurance and he makes a promise to him. And he says, and he says, I I'm going to give you peace. You will not die. I'm going to protect you. And he goes forward with that promise. And it's that promise that gives him that peace. Like he looks ahead at what he has to face and it doesn't look like it's going to work. And so he keeps falling back on that promise that God gave him as, as the strength of, of that peace for him. Now the chapter ends where he's going to do it again. He's going to be like, okay, well, first he goes and he tears down this altar and cuts down the groves. Yeah, I and, love that. He's like, I got to remove any distraction from me. My focus has to be on God. And you love that there is something in there about that private victory with the Lord that then allows him to go out and publicly just be like, I am God's deliverer right yeah, now. Yeah. I, I am in God's hand. And he's, he has so much courage that he didn't have. Which, yeah, which is uncharacteristic for his personality, yep. you know? And it's and, and I love throughout the whole book of Judges, it keeps using this phrase, and the spirit of the Lord came upon them. And when it does, they are, they're stronger than they usually are. They're more mm -hmm. courageous than they usually are. They're gentler than they usually are when the spirit of the Lord rests on them. And so he has this episode. And I love that, that you just taught. And I want to make sure everybody catches that, the idea of like this private victory with the Lord, a face-to-face -face conversation, a reassurance from him, then gave him the peace and courage and strength to go forward and do something out of the ordinary mm -hmm. for his character. Yeah. And how valuable those moments are mm. for us. Yeah. I, I think it's important we don't get caught up when, when he's like looking for a sign or whatever from the Lord. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll read this and say, like, wait, you're not supposed to like look for signs and stuff. But I think as you watch the way that 
um, Gideon approaches the Lord, the way he brings him a sacrifice as part of it. He's not wanting a sign just for the thrill of a sign or to take the easy way mm -hmm. out. It is an episode of him learning to trust the Lord. And that he's willing to invest in the outcome. Yeah. But he's yeah. like, same like Abraham, how will I know? And then he's the Lord's like, go get a heifer and a goat. And, yeah. A, yeah. and he's like, if you are willing to invest, the Lord is like, I'm also willing to invest. And, and I really, really like this concept of this process of learning to trust him. And you see it with mm -hmm. Gideon, you know, yes. because like you might not trust the Lord right off the bat. And so these experiences that he's having, like he had that one with the cakes and the, and the, you know, the mm -hmm. present, and then he gave him the courage to do this. And now the Lord's going to ask him to do something bigger. And he's like, Oh, I kind of need some more reassurance. You know, there's yeah, just, I'm the right one. Yeah, am I the, am I still the right one? Right, Cause I right. know I was the right one then, but am I still the right one now. And you love this moment where there's going to be these two fleeces, right? Where he's like, I just want to make sure I have it right. Yeah. Yeah. And he just says, okay, when I go to bed tonight, um, I'm going to put this little lamb fleece um, next to my bed. And will you make it so that the dew only lands on the fleece and not on the ground around it? And so he wakes up the next morning and, and the fleece is wet and he brings it out. <laughs> and he's just like, okay, okay. And he's like, Okay, and then you actually, love that as the day goes on, he's like, wait, was that real? Yeah. Did that really happen? Like maybe because I spilled what, what, my water. Yeah, what if that was? Maybe I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's like, I'll make it harder yeah. this time. And so he says, this time, will you make it wet all around the fleece tonight and then not the actual fleece itself? He's and, like, maybe this was a better idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next morning, the Lord does it, which is so sweet that he would, you know, consider to do something like that. Um, and which I really just love. Isn't that darling? Where yeah. he's just like, oh, yes, I'm running a universe, but I have time. Yes, to, to like, take care of the know, fleece. To take care of the fleece. Mm -hmm. And so he wakes up the next morning, the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. And he's like, ah, okay. I think it's, I think, I think it's right. I think and it's And you him. love the inverse or in chapter six. It's almost as if Gideon is proving the Lord. Let me just prove that I can trust you. But what happens in the beginning of seven is the Lord almost does the same thing back to Gideon. Let me prove if I can trust you. So what happens is they're going to go up against the Midianites. The army is 135,000 people. Um, you find that out in Judges 8, actually, in verse 10. It starts adding you up all the numbers if you want to know how big that army is. And so they, Gideon comes and his people and they pitch their tents and they're right outside Jezreel Valley is where they are. And the Lord says to Gideon, uh, you brought too many men with you um, for me to give the Midianites into your hands. So he's, he has 32,000 men with him going up against 135,000. Like, just think about those odds for a minute. And who loves when the Lord is like, oh, you brought too many. Where Gideon is probably <laughs> that night was like, this is all I have. And he's like, it's too many. So he says in verse two, you go down. That's where he says there's too many. And in verse three, he says, go ask anyone who is fearful and afraid. Tell them to just go back to Mount Gilead. They can go home. And 22,000 men leave. That is what happens. So now he has 10,000, which has to make his heart be racing yeah. just a little bit that he's like, okay, now what are my odds? Like every guy has to take how many for us to win? Like I'm for sure doing the math in my head. Uh, you, you've got this many, you've got this many, right? And then the Lord's like, um, in verse four, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and, and we're going to try them, right? You can kind of see that fleece moment happening right here where he's like, okay, I have an idea. I'll lay this out. And if the water comes on and Heavenly Father's back, like, okay, I have a great idea. <laughs> take him to the river. You take him to the river. And if anyone kneels down and if anyone stands up, that's how you know who's going to stay. And anyone who gets down on his knees to drink has to go home. But anyone who just pulls the water up stays. And some Bible scholars think that's because those men would have been battle ready. Like mm. they don't, they wouldn't bow their knee or take their eye off what was going on. So he ends up with 300 men versus 135,000 men. And so he says to everybody, okay, this is what the battle is going to look like, which you have to wonder when these men are watching Gideon, if they're like, does he know what he's doing? Yeah. He's sending people home. Right. And just, 
Like, does he realize how big the army is that we're going up against? So there's just something about those 300 men. And the Lord says, um, if you get nervous, because they look down and they can see him like giants and grasshoppers all in the land. And he's like, if, if by chance you get nervous, take a servant and go down right into the camp. And so he does. So he must have been nervous. And he gets down there and there's a man who's had a dream. And the dream is that somehow Gideon is going to win this battle the next day. And it gives him courage that he's going to be able to do it. And the dream is funny. The dream's like one of yours, you know, <laughs> where it's like a cake fell out of heaven and yes. smashed the army. Yes. And sort of like, what? what? But sometimes I think like back to remember when he took that present of a cake to the yeah. Lord, is he kind of connecting the two stories right. for him? Yes. You know, he's like, remember that? Yeah, it's me. Yeah, I'm, you gave me that little you. cake and yeah. I'm going to use what you gave me to, you know, yes. to smash this. And I love that in verse 15, it says this, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshiped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, arise for the Lord hath delivered into your hand, the host of Midian. And it kind of hints of Deborah a little bit, right? When it was like, oh, this This is is the the day, day. right? (laughs) This is, he's, it's already done. He already has said, we won. And I love that live as if, mm-hmm. you know, that he's just like, well, you can get up and you can get ready and we're just going to live as if we've won. And then if things are not crazy enough in this story already, he starts handing out everybody's weapons of war. And here's what their weapon is going to be a trumpet, an empty pitcher and a lamp. Do you just want to think about those 300 men for a minute when Gideon's like, okay, here's one for you. And here's a set for you. (laughs) And everybody's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, (laughs) how is this going to help against all those people? And you just love that for some reason, those 300 men trust Gideon so much. And also that Gideon is not like, why are we using like pitchers and trumpets? Yeah, yeah. To fight this war. But okay, right. There's so much trust in this story. And he is like, everybody, this is. The plan, um, look on me and do whatever I do. When I come to the outside of the camp, it will be that whatever I do, that's what you're going to do. So he says this, when I blow with the trumpet, then everyone who's with, with me, you blow the trumpets also at the side of all the camp. And everyone says the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, that is the fight cry the battle cry in that moment. And so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hand to blow with all. And they all cried at the same time, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, which I love the thought of this because they would have crept up in darkness. Like I just imagine they have those pictures over the lantern and they have their trumpet in their other hand and they're going to come up and surround this 135,000 army and they're all spread out every man in his place and they blow the trumpet and then they probably with their trumpet break the pitchers. So there's that loud noise and then the light comes up from everywhere. And I had one Bible scholar tell me once that for every lantern and trumpet, you would know it signified 1000 soldiers hmm. behind them. Hmm. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. And, and because it was dark, that um, was the lamp in the picture. I like to imagine that it was. Oh, that makes so much Don't more sense. Don't you love it to like, be in there? Yeah, because it gives me anxiety. This part because I'm like ready, go, and I'm like, oh. I. You, have you ever tried to like light a match? And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't gonna work. Probably so that's the picture better. was up. Right. And the lamp sitting in, in it. it. So the That's air better. is coming up. And then don't you want him to hit it it's with the smarter. trumpet? I totally made this up in my mind. So smarter. if there's a really smart person out there and I'm totally wrong, my imagination is just in the battle. Then they hit that noise. Everything shatters. It's so loud all at the same time. Light comes up. And what happens, everyone, <laughs> is in verse 21, they stood every man in his place around the camp 
And all of the host inside ran and fled and the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And then they all run away and the men of Israel gather themselves together and they won the war. And with a cake. <laughs> you know yes. Yeah. With a trumpet and a lamp and a um, pitcher. And I just love again that it's so unexpected and that it's all about trust. But I, mm. my, our favorite mm. part of Gideon is that every man was supposed to stand in his place. And that's our um, invitation. Yeah, verse 21. Is that yeah. What that is? yeah. Verse 21. And they stood every man in his place. So our last hero, the lesson we learned from Gideon is stand in your place. Just stand in your place. When you see the battle raging, stand in your place. And even if things don't make sense, which is my favorite part, even if like the weapons you've been given, you're like, I don't even think these are going to work. Or even if the words coming from the leader, you're like, is this like the right idea? Cause it yeah. doesn't really make sense right now, but just stand in your place. And I love when Gideon is like, listen, everybody, whatever I do is what you should do. And that's trust. Yeah. And maybe we live in a time where we need a little bit more trust, especially in those who are leading us. So I just love that part about, could you just stand in your place and trust and let God do his great work? Yeah. And it's, it's neat that the Lord almost is teaching really like, no, you can't come and say, we beat an army of 135,000 people with 300 soldiers, 300 lamps, pitchers, and trumpets. trumpets. You know, it's like, you didn't win that. Like sh clearly you didn't win that. Someone else won it for you. Like mm. what's the secret is what somebody yeah. would, would ask. And it's like, the Lord is teaching. If I can win a battle with trumpets and lamps, then I can win my battles with you. You know, whoever yeah. you are, if you're the least, if you're the left hand, if you're the, if you're, if you're from the smallest tribe, wherever, like I can, this is happens. And, and I love that it ha we're ending on this story of when they yell, I've never thought this before, but they say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Yeah. And it's almost like this, this cry and call to this co-creation and this trusting relationship that they have with each other. And well, and I love the thought too, when you think about the three things that they were given, how much they symbolize Jesus mm. and who he is, right? He's the sword of the spirit. He's the light of the world and he is living water. Mm. So what do they have in their hands? Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what they have in their hands. Right. And that's how they're going to enter into that battle. And there's just, it, there's so many good things. So as you think about these heroes, we love the call for this week, be a force of God, be a surprise effect, be an encourager, have gentle courage, let God be your strength and stand in your place. So, so many good call. Um, what do you want to call those call phrases? Um, yeah. just like a call to action from the heroes this week. Yeah. Okay. You guys can't wait till next week. See ya. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at don't miss this. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.